This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Gold. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. This week, we talked with Ryan Hoover, the founder of Product Hunt. You'll learn how he and his partner, Nathan Bashaw, released the smallest possible version of their product in less than a week. You'll also learn how he consistently puts out content on sites like Pando Daily and Fast Company. Enjoy. So we're here with Ryan Hoover of Product Hunt. Um, Product Hunt is a new service that allows you to discover the latest products that people are sharing. So Ryan, why don't you kind of kick us off with a, with a quick intro to Product Hunt? Sure. Thanks for having me. This is a... 
excited to talk about this. Who isn't excited to talk about themselves, you know? Um, <laughs> so Product Hunt is uh, something that we launched, me and Nathan Bashaw launched roughly two months ago or so. And it ultimately started from just my interest in product. I've been working in product and technology now for four or five years. And I just love talking about products and geeking out about products with other smart people. Uh, that's often what happens when I meet other entrepreneurs. We talk about what apps are you playing with? What products are you discovering? What's in your home screen? And so I had this desire to, okay, how do you take that offline kind of conversation and engagement? How do you bring it online? And so I initially created essentially an email list with maybe 20 or 30 uh, founders and investors that I knew and just told them, hey, here's this email list, contribute cool products you find. And each day the digest is emailed to the to the group. And I, I enjoyed it. I liked finding these products. And then more and more people started subscribing. A few different people came up to me and said, hey, that product hunt thing is really cool. Um, you know, I, I love it and I look forward to those daily emails. So uh, short story is we took that and, and built an actual product out of that. Effectively, it's kind of like a Hacker News style uh, model and where contributors post products, they enter the link of the product, the name of the product, short tagline, and then the community upvotes what they think is the coolest. And within each post, you can also comment and discuss that product or competitors or, or um, other things like that about the product. Now, you've built the prototype in five days. Um, tell us a little bit about that process and how how you were able to get the smallest possible version out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to even backtrack a little bit further, so I'm, I consider myself non-technical in that I, I, I can do front-end stuff, but I'm not able to build like a Ruby on Rails application. I uh, just never invested that in myself. And so... With the email list, I found, okay, there's there's something here with this product hunt email list. There's some opportunity. Maybe we should build this into a real product. So I reached out to my buddy, Nathan Bashaw, who's um, like a unicorn. He's designer, developer, product-minded guy. And uh, I asked him, like, hey, what should I build this in? I want to learn, you know, I, I want to build this easily and quickly. Should I use Telescope? Should I use Ruby on Rails? What should I do? And um, this was right before Thanksgiving, actually. So he responded and said, Hey, I got some time over Thanksgiving. I'm going to be going back to my folks place. Uh, why don't we work on this and I'll bang this out, you know, over the break. So he gets the credit for the entire implementation development of uh, product hunt. Um, and it was roughly I, four or five days. I can't remember is how long it took him to build the first version, which doesn't look much different than it does today. So super quick. He's done these before. And, our entire goal was to build something quickly and get it to that early adopter, like 20, 30 people and get starting getting feedback um, as quickly as possible. So we had to be really strict on what features we wanted to include, what features we could realistically include. And we really cut it down to the bare minimum. So it started off as basically compose a product, a link to the product, a tagline, people can upvote and there's basic like uh, flat feed commenting. That was it. Um, we use Twitter for authentication so we don't have to build an authentication system. Uh, we lacked a lot of things like being able to hide posts. We had to go in the database to hide posts if someone posted something that wasn't appropriate. Um, there are a lot of things missing, but again, we want to just get this out as quickly as possible and then um, seed the community and get their feedback quickly. So besides uh, being able to bang this out in a really short time period, which is awesome, the other cool thing about it is that you it seems like you had a launch pad of people 
that previously knew about you on both sides. Usually it's really mm -hmm. hard to do a marketplace, but you had people to both submit links and people that were willing. You said that you had a, a couple hundred subscribers out of the gate that wanted to receive the products. Um, where did that audience come from? Yeah, the initial email list, I intentionally didn't market market that. So when I first built the email list, I actually just posted on Twitter and on Quib actually, where I built a, a decent following of uh, entrepreneurs and, and founders. And that's where it seeded the initial community of roughly 150 subscribers and maybe 20 or 30 um, contributors. And some of those were also just from our network of people we reached out to directly. And and then from there, it's just grown um, over time. So we opened it up and reached out to more, more and more people on our network. And of course, once it launched, we also did some more marketing. But frankly, it's it's largely if I tried to launch, if we tried to launch Product Hunt six or nine months ago, it wouldn't have it wouldn't be where it is today in many ways. Uh, a lot of, I guess, is it, its success has been based on kind of the following and audience that that Nathan and I have built um, over the past year or so and sort of the trust that we've acquired. And that's why a lot of these products uh, take so long for many others that haven't built a following. And, and a lot of it's just been through blogging um, and connecting with others and other products I've worked on. And at this stage, how are you guys driving traffic to it? Is it just through posts getting shared on Twitter? That's part of it. It's Right now our focus is engagement and retention, making sure that the community enjoys the product and that it's growing at a healthy pace. Um, but in terms of, uh, acquisition, a lot of it has been driven by either word of mouth or some of the press that we've been pushing. So there's, I guess, two different types of press we've had. We did a launch in Pando daily, um, did an interview with Carmel from Pando and she wrote about uh, product hunt when we publicly announced it. And then we've had a few other people write things about product hunt. And then I've done maybe three, maybe three or four different guest posts on uh, either Pando Daily or Fast Company, uh, just writing about our learnings and our experience um, with Product Hunt. So Pando Daily is a, a great place to launch. Um, tell us a little bit how you got uh, the article feature there. You were able to land that interview. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before. It, it, I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have gotten that connection with Carmel or been able to launch in Pando if I hadn't built those relationships prior to that. So I, I've been writing on Pando Daily for, I don't know how many times, maybe four, four, four or five essays I've contributed. And so they have some respect for my writing and they're, listen, they're willing to listen to me <laughs> uh, because I've offered these, these essays uh, for free and, you know, it's, it's only good content for them. Um, and so when I reached out to Carmel, I'd actually met her once in person before. Uh, she was receptive and uh, it was, I think it was last minute. I'm surprised that she like took the, the call last minute, but we met up at, um, uh, what was it called? Homestead, Homestead and the mission, if you're familiar with San Francisco and just did an interview. And, you know, for some reporters, it's all about timing too. Sometimes they're looking for good stories and, um, and you just have to get lucky there, but it's, it's largely based on just the relationships I've built with, with, uh, Carmel and others in the industry. So tell us a little bit about how you initially, um, kind of forge that relationship, which I think is the the missing point for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's frankly, a lot of a lot of it is spawned initially from blogging. Um, so I've been writing more actively in the past year or so, and just writing about product design, growth, and just things that I'm interested in. Uh, usually, kind of, 
ironically, a lot of it's based on just my conversations about talking with pro- about products with founders and entrepreneurs. Um, but my initial relationship with, I guess, Pando started with a cold email to Sarah Lacey. I wrote a piece called, um, what was it called? What product designers can learn from Phil's coffee. And I thought it was a good post. I liked it. And I wanted to uh, try and get some more distribution and, and guest post on some publications. And so I reached out to a friend on Twitter who happened to guest post and I'm, and I asked him, Hey, how did you, how did you get a guest post on Panda Daily? Like what, what was your strategy there? And he told me that he just cold emailed Sarah. So I did the same thing. I cold emailed her. I linked her to a final draft of what I've written and gave her a couple sentence description of it and, you know, why it'd be appropriate for Pando. And she read it and she liked it and connected with me with uh, Adam Penenberg and they published it. And then from there, Adam, he enjoyed it as well. And he said, hey, if you have any other essays in, in this area, in this domain, you know, forward them along, we'd be happy to, uh, to work with you on them. That's really cool. Uh, really good lesson for people too. Yeah. And it's, I mean, cold emails work. Uh, a lot of people just are too afraid to cold email. And most of the time, uh, an introduction is probably most appropriate, most effective. But if nothing else, cold email is not hard to do. It's, it's really about how you do it. And if you do, if you, if you're a blogger and you're trying to pitch something, some people make the mistake of saying, or cold emailing or, or even through an introduction saying, Hey, I want to write about this topic, blah, blah, blah. Here's what it's about. But they don't give the full draft that, that puts the reporter or the, the publication at risk saying they can't commit to something they haven't seen. So if you're going to cold email to get a guest post, give them the full, the full draft, complete it and give them a short description of why it's important or why it's what it's about. And, and of course, make sure it's relevant to their audience. And was there anything that you used in that cold email, um, a, a shared connection or anything to make her more receptive to it, to warm it up a bit? Or was it completely, you know, you're a stranger contacting her for the first time and there happens to be a good article attached? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the topic was love Panda Monthly. So I, first off, I like, I don't know if you watched the Panda Monthly interviews, but, um, I'm a big fan of them. I'm, I love that type of content. They're like founder interviews that Sarah Lacey does once a month. And so the top, the, the subject line was just love Panda monthly. And, and I said, hi, Sarah, first want to give you major props for Panda monthly. I geek out of this type of content and really enjoy your interview style. Looking forward to talking with, uh, with Borthwick ne- next week. So she was going to interview, uh, uh, beta works Borthwick next week. Um, then I said, I wrote a piece not yet published, what Phil, Phil's Coffee can teach us about product design that might be valuable for your entrepreneurial Panda Daily audience. Please let me know if you're interested. So that was it. Very simple, straightforward. And then she responded and uh, forwarded it to Adam Pennenberg and we connected from there. So, um, you know, what I wrote was definitely customized and, and I, I knew her, I knew her style um, and it was genuine. Like I love Panda Monthly. I wasn't just making that up. Um, but that's how I approached it. So you are, you're big on cross-posting um, a lot of your content. What's kind of your take on medium, subtle, personal blog? Where should people be posting? Yeah, yeah. So I get a lot of questions about that. So for those that do follow, follow my writing, I do post on, I post everywhere. <laughs> so my current approach is I will post on my own blog, which I currently just host on Tumblr. I'll post there and then the next day or, or the, the following day, I will post on 
medium, subtle, and sometimes Cora. And the only, the purpose of that really is just to get more distribution. Um, it's easy enough to copy and paste and, and post on those those different publications or those different uh, platforms. Um, some people, for whatever reason, they feel like it's disingenuous, like it's it's something that writers shouldn't do. But in my mind, if it's relevant to the community and you're posting it um, in the right place on Medium, for example, then why not uh, why not post it everywhere? So that is helpful sometimes in getting more distribution. Sometimes you'll find that the same essay won't take off my own blog, but it will take off on Medium. Um, for example, Medium is, uh, if you write something about writing, for example, uh, that audience is more attracted to that, which isn't surprising. Uh, so certain topics will just do better in certain certain platforms. So besides the what you mentioned about people thinking it might be disingenuous, we've also heard people kind of bash on writing on Medium because you're not able to run the kind of promotions or let's say you wanted to add like a newsletter sign up at the end of the post. Right. Uh, you're not able to add that level of promotion, I guess, to your posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've heard people say that you shouldn't post on Medium at all. We've tried, originally we posted everything on Medium, all three of us. And as we've gotten closer to launch and started to launch products, we've started to have our own blogs and now we're cross posting to Medium. But one thing we've realized is that um, if you post on your blog first and then post on Medium, Medium seems to take over the search rankings for the mm. name of the article. Is there anything you do to keep credit pointed at your site or is that yeah. not really an issue for you? I mean, th- yeah, that's a completely valid concern. Uh, for me, I'm less, I'm less concerned about SEO and kind of maintaining, um, I guess that, that ranking. Um, I haven't done honestly much analysis or even looking into this, but that's one reason why I post on my own domain. And then a couple of days later we'll post elsewhere. Cause usually Google will then make that the canonical, I guess, um, search result for that specific topic. Um, but that's not always the case. So for me, I haven't worried as much about that. That is a valid concern. Um, but I think the, the value or the, um, upside in getting more distribution is, is better than the risk of, you know, having it point to medium and not your own domain. Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially in the beginning. Um, yeah, I mean, it just depend. It does, certainly depends on what type of content you're writing though. Yeah. Um, and what type of like platform you're trying to create in your own domain, of course. Yeah, I know in the beginning, Medium was great for us because you have an instant audience. And it's actually what's helped us build up some Twitter followers and subscribers for our product list. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if we posted it on our site without anyone to email it out to, I'm, I'm not sure if we would have gotten any eyeballs on it. So I know it's yeah. been great so far. And right now we're cross-posting to it. I'm sure we'll continue posting there, especially content that makes sense. Yeah, um, for that audience. But yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that you're posting elsewhere too. Has Cora worked out well for you? Yeah, some some type of content does really well on Cora, and I haven't. I never link. Another thing that I do is I will, of course, broadcast it on Twitter and and Quib and other platforms like each of my posts. But I haven't been pushing people from those channels into Cora. So, um, it. I could invest more in like the Quora platform, but I feel like um, it hasn't been as valuable for me personally. Um, but one thing I'll note, because actually taking a quick step back, is you mentioned emails. Um, 
what I do also, and I, what I do recommend for people that are blogging is to try and build an email list, which you guys have done very well, well as well. Uh, but even though the medium doesn't provide you a way to customize the page and have like an email pop-up or whatever, uh, it's also, you can also just add a link to your email list at the bottom of your, your post. So in each of my essays and almost all of them, you'll see two different calls to action, uh, or, or maybe just one, but sometimes two, one it's here I'm on Twitter, here's my username, and I make sure to spell it out, R.R. Hoover. And then also, if you want to read more about product design or, or whatever, depending on what the topics about that I'm writing, then I also link to a link to subscribe to my blog. And I don't get a lot of subscribers out of it, but it's always worth doing because the people that do want to subscribe at least can find, find you that way. Yeah, we do the same. I'm not sure what Michael's uh, response has been on it, but we on a good post, if it's getting shared around a lot, we can get, I think, 50 to 100 subscribes out of it, mm -hmm. which isn't huge, but if you do a few of those a month, then you're doing pretty well. Is that the yeah. same for you? Yeah, it depends how many times you're, uh, or how many different places that you're directing traffic to, because we're often directing traffic to our product, to our, uh, to my personal blog feed. Um, so it all gets distributed, but it's nice to give people what they're looking for. Um, so yeah. I'd love to hear what is next for product or for product hunt. What's what's coming down the horizon? Yeah. So the the next few months or so, what we're planning to do is really continue to monitor engagement, uh, in, improve the product itself. There are a lot of features missing that uh, we know will drive higher engagement or at least make it more valuable and interesting. One example is our comment feed is still just a flat feed of comments and a few things that we want to do to encourage better discussion, more interesting discussion is one comment upvotes. I find myself reading someone's comment and loving it and wanting to like give them a pat on the back by upvoting it, but I can't. And I don't want to just comment like, Hey, awesome post like in this flat feed of comments. So um, there's no way for me to like give people that kind of respect uh, so some common upvoting, some basic threading as well. We've been doing a lot of founder AMAs, basically Q and A's with the founders of these products. And it's been really fun, but the flat feed comment doesn't allow for good discussion. It's kind of hard to follow, but with some upvoting and some threading of comments, um, we're hoping to encourage people to contribute more and just make it a richer discussion. Um, so there's like a few different things, like there's some obvious things missing, like some search. Uh, we have some ideas on how do we make the homepage a little bit better and more scalable as we add more people to the community. Um, but overall, the next few months is really just to slowly uh, build up that, that culture in the community um, and then increase the improve the product ultimately based on feedback and other ideas that we come up with. Yeah, I have to say the AMA is a, probably one of the most enjoyable feature in Product Hunt because oftentimes I don't know who built the product. Yeah. Um, but having that direct line um, to that, you know, that 24 hours where they're paying attention is is just awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad to hear that because I personally like it a lot. And right now there's not much feedback that we're getting because of the limitations of comments to know how much are people reading it and how much are they enjoying it. So that's good to hear. Um, and one of the best, I think you have great onboarding for the, the creators of the products themselves. There's a million ways that you could try to, to automate that or get people to sign up. But yeah. I don't know if this is what you do for everyone, but when Hookfeed was featured on there, 
you reached out to me and said that there was a conversation going on tied to the post and there's the only thing I'm going to do at that point is go sign up and take part in it. (laughs) Yes. Do you find that with most of the, most of the people that are making these products? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like I said, in the very beginning of this interview, people like to talk about themselves. So (laughs) I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, some of it is outward. So for example, when Hookfeed was on there, I, I know you from the, the internets and I'm like, oh, okay, I better reach out to Matt and bring him in here. And in other cases, people find it themselves. Maybe someone posts it in their product. They have maybe a Google alert or some sort of like monitoring service that monitors when their product is posted or they see it on Twitter being mentioned. And then they find product hunt and they say, oh, I want to join this discussion or, oh, hey, everybody, you better uh, upvote our product, which is um, – you know, there's some gaming of, of our site, which, you know, we'll have to address longer term, but it's kind of a high class problem to have founders bring in dozens of people to upvote products. And that's actually how we found it. Um, I, I had found the site probably a couple of weeks before. Um, and I had mentioned to our, to my co-founder that, you know, this is a site that we should keep our eye on because it'd be great if we got on here. Um, yeah. and then we started seeing some Twitter activity around brand more than, than we usually see. And we finally traced it back to Product Hunt and John Lax had submitted it. So it was a really cool connection too because he was someone that we admired and looked up to. Um, nice. And he was actually on your site endorsing the product. So that that connection to make was really cool. Nice. Yeah, I love to hear that. That's fun. We actually had uh, the founder of AppQs. I don't know if you saw this. This was maybe a month ago. Uh, founder of AppQs product was posted by, I can't remember who offhand, and it ended up getting on the top of the, the leaderboard that day. Um, and this was back when we had maybe half as many subscribers and people using the site. And he jumped into comments and he told us afterwards like how valuable that traffic was for him. The, the audience, it, it was a brand new product, so he hadn't had much engagement or traction or feedback. And immediately he got, I don't know, over 100 signups that day and uh, – and was engaging with the, the audience and they were being very receptive and giving good feedback. And, and the following day he created a special landing page and it was a special sign up for product hunters. He, he called, as he called it. And, uh, he was giving them like priority access to try out his like beta product ahead of everyone else. And, um, it was just super awesome to see people one get like a lot of value and good feedback from their early product, but then two for them to like capitalize on it and like kind of give some respect to the community by creating that landing page. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it shows the value of the audience that you created for him. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's an audience of people that, again, like talking about products. And um, whether their feedback is good or not, they're super willing to give that that feedback and um, like to help entrepreneurs and founders. It's That's kind of what startups are largely about is that pay it forward kind of mentality. Earlier, uh, before we press record, you were talking about what makes blogging worth it for you. And I feel like we should close on that. It was pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you asked the question, what is like success of, of blogging? And, um, I, I don't have a success metrics or like a binary. Yes, this was a good post or not. You never know what post will do well and what won't. So for me, I am vain in, in many ways. I won't all admit it. Like I like to see a lot of people read my stuff and I like to see a lot of people share it. And that is, that does mean something when a lot of people share it. It means that they find value in it at the same time. 
there's value in having just that one reader read what you wrote and have it change their perspective or maybe what they're doing or what they're building. Um, one of my, one of the posts that I wrote actually on medium originally, maybe six months ago when I was deciding to leave Playhaven was just a recount of my, my kind of story at Playhaven and, and why I was leaving a company. And, um, and although that was very successful in terms of page views and sharing, I did get a lot of direct emails, probably, probably 70 actually of people that said, this is exactly how I feel. Like I've been in the same position. I, I also am like looking to, to leave my company. I've lost the passion for what I'm doing, so on and so forth. And just having that, even just one email from one person like that is, makes it entirely worthwhile to spend several hours writing, writing that post. Um, so it's that kind of human connection that blogging can enable sometimes that makes it super valuable to me. At the same time, it's kind of scary too because I don't know about you, but I also feel, am I giving them shitty advice? <laughs> That's why I've also written about uh, the importance of reading everything and taking any advice with context. So whatever I say may not be applicable to you and um, and I think that's true for anything you read or, or any advice you get in life. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on here and giving us your time and insight. Cool, yeah, this has been really fun. We, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and uh, go to productcomp.co and uh, check, out, check out Ryan's blog. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks a lot.